they do is they heat up the metal and the metal becomes a liquid that's how you know like if you have a wedding band on it didn't come out of the earth in this form somebody made it into it because when you heat up a precious metal it becomes a liquid and what a refiner does is he watches it and as as he heats it up he knows a certain temperature when it heats up all the impurities will start to rise to the surface and a good refiner keeps his eye he turns the heat up just enough for the impurities to come to the surface so that he can skim away the impurities. If you've ever seen a crime show on television, there's almost always a scene where the cops are turning up the heat on a suspect, trying to get them to confess. They go just far enough to get a confession without breaking the person. The Heavenly Father does that with us as well, but He has a different motive. Because He loves us, He wants to refine us, turning up the heat bit by bit so that the impurities rise to the top. When he deals with that sin, instead of being imprisoned for our confession, he offers grace. The quote goes like this. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. It's a pretty powerful quote, isn't it? Most people in 21st century America know it as a quote from a movie called The Usual Suspects, um, talking about a man, a fictional character named Kaiser Sose, who nobody really knew if he was real or if he wasn't. And Kevin Spacey, the actor in that scene when he's talking to this police officer, pulls that line out. And if you were to, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching the movie, but that's the line from the movie. Well, most people don't realize it was actually an adaptation from a quotation from a 19th century French poet. I know you guys all spend all of your free time reading uh, 19th century French poetry, but his name was uh, Charles Baudelier, who said that, talking, his poem was about a fictional encounter that he had with the devil. Now, it's a kind of a scary way to start a message, right? The the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world they did not exist. Now, the reason I bring it up is because of the study that we're going to do today in this case study series, as we're studying the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, if you were to read the theological writings of people from different times in history, like if you read during the Reformation when Martin Luther was writing, there's a lot of discussion about the devil. If you read writings today, there's almost no discussion except for a very specific sliver of uh, what we would call the charismatic church, where they really get into the spiritual warfare and they encourage you to do spiritual warfare. I have a rule that if somebody encourages you to do spiritual warfare, it's because they've actually never been involved in it before. That was a, a slight joke. Like about, at about noon today, someone will just start hysterical laughing. You'll get what I'm talking about. But that's fine. I'm okay with it. But you see, the devil is real. And guess what? The devil goes to church on Sunday too. 
Now, I bring that up because we're going to look today at a church who wasn't careful. And because they weren't careful, the enemy got a foothold. Now, I'm not the kind of person, I don't believe that, and I've said this before, I don't believe that Satan is God's evil alter ego. It's not like Satan is Dr. Evil to God being Austin Powers. They are not equal. They are not the same. Satan was created by God. Is still subject to the bidding of God. But at the same time, Satan is alive and well. And he still comes to church on Sundays. It's actually maybe the most important place that Satan can go. Because if you can get in to the people of God, and if you can cause the people of God to get off track, then the people of God are no longer the light of Christ in the world, the hands and feet of Jesus. And so Satan likes to try and get in and root out, pull up what God wants to be fruitful. And the church in Thyatira who we're going to see today, is having that exact problem. There is a foothold that Satan has in this church, and it's causing the church to be ineffective for the way it's God that wants to use it. So just as a recap, we're looking at these seven letters to the seven churches. So open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be taking now the fourth letter, the very last letter in chapter 2. We're going to have three more coming in the subsequent weeks. But we're going to be picking up in verse 18 for the church in Thyatira. Now, don't forget, each one of these letters that Jesus has written to these churches follows a very specific checklist. In a lot of ways, it's his case study checklist. We've been saying it all along. It begins with the revelation. Jesus is saying, this is who I am. And Jesus wants to reveal himself uniquely to each and every church. So this is who I am. Then he gets into the good. This is what you're doing well. This is what, as I'm assessing this church, as I'm talking to my bride, this is where you're excelling. But not only does he give you the good, he also gives you the bad. This is where you're struggling. This is what's going on. This is where there are issues that need tending to, growing edges. And then he gives a challenge. And it's interesting that Jesus challenges the church, and he challenges the church because just because they're not doing well doesn't mean they'll always not do well, but they have to amend their ways. They have to simply respond to Jesus, just like you and I. There are things that we do well, and there are things that we don't do well. And if we're willing to look at the things we don't do well and accept Jesus' challenge, we will grow. And then after the challenge, he gives the promise. For those who are willing to roll up their sleeves spiritually and do the dirty work that God would ask us to do, there's a promise. God said, look, this is what I'm going to do if you overcome, if you take those next steps. And we've seen these in each and every letter. And these letters are important because they were local churches. And remember, each letter has that, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit would say to the churches. Which means that if you and I are willing to open up the ears of our hearts and say, Lord, I want you to speak to me from the letter to the church in Thyatira, it is applicable to you and I. But it's interesting that Jesus says that a lot. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because oftentimes we are willing to hear, but we're really not willing to listen. You guys know what that's like, right? 
How many times have you had a strong fellowship with somebody? You've had a discussion with somebody, and you're listening, but you're not listening at all, right? Like, you're hearing them, but you're really not hearing them at all. You're just waiting to jump in and tell them how they don't understand. So because God has given us ears, we're going to say, Lord, we want to hear from you. What do you want to speak to me? What do you want to speak to us as the people of God? And this was also very specific things going on in a very specific church that was alive and vibrant when the Apostle John received this revelation. So let's jump right on in. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 to 29. Look at what it says. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allowed that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, now that we've read the letter, I want to let you know that there will be some more adult content in the message today. So if you do have younger ones here, it's not going to be graphic, but given the nature of what's being discussed here, I felt it was absolutely necessary and appropriate to address some of the things that are going on in our culture today. So if you do have young ones in here, because we will be addressing some more adult, I want to encourage you to take them into the family room. And of course, to Crossroads Kids is there. I just want to give you that heads up because this is going to be a little bit more of an adult discussion because we need to have it. Now, notice it begins to the angel in the church in Thyatira, right? All the way along, we've been saying that the angel was a messenger, whether it's an angelic, supernatural messenger, part of the angelic realm, or simply the caretaker, the person who has the ability to talk 
into the life of the congregation, be it a pastor, a bishop. Each letter is written to somebody who has caretaking authority over these churches. And it's to the church in Thyatira. This is modern-day Akasar, which is a population of about 30,000 people in Turkey. It's about 45 miles due east of Pergamos, which was the last church. Remember we said each one of these churches make a gentle arch in modern-day Turkey. And now we're starting to move towards the east as we get here to Thyatira. What's interesting is, out of all the cities, Thyatira was the least important. What we do know about Thyatira, it had very strong trade guilds. We know, of course, from Acts 16, that Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. So that's how those link up. So this church, now notice how Jesus reveals himself. Look at what he says. He says, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. And what this teaches us is that the Son of God has a refining gaze. The Son of God has a refining gaze. This is how Jesus reveals himself to the church in Thyatira. And what's interesting, this is the only time the only time in the entire book of Revelation that we get the phrase, the Son of God. To the church in Thyatira, Jesus pulls out the divinity, the deity card with them. He's like, look, I am God's Son. And I, as I was reflecting on that revelation, he's like, look, these things are the Son of God. Like, I am God's only begotten Son. It got me thinking about Crossroads because I had a conversation with someone just recently and they were asking me, like, so Pastor Daniel, you know, in in churches when the pastor's away, they normally don't tell anybody because if the pastor's away, then nobody comes. And it's funny because, you know, as I've been away, it's been great watching that here at Crossroads, it's not about a pastor because the Son of God trumps any pastor. And so no matter who's here, if if Pastor Bill isn't here or if I'm not here, Jesus is here. And you know, and that's what makes church the real deal. That's what makes Crossroads so special right now. Because I keep hearing from so many of you, the presence of God is so strong as we worship together. I was talking to folks who worship in the chapel. And those of you in the chapel, I can see you over there. They're saying, man, God's presence is strong here at Crossroads. And guess what? That's what makes church church. A pastor doesn't make church church. Talking heads, they can come and go. Over the history of the church, there's been lots of them. Pastor Bill's been here for 37 years. Lord willing, I'll have a good long run. And then after I'm done, there'll be another talking head. Church is not dependent on a pastor. It's dependent on the Son of God. God is worthy. He's the Son of God. Jesus is worthy to be praised. And that, to me, is the signs of a really strong church. That it's not about who's leading the music, who's teaching the Bible. It's because the presence of God is in the midst of the people of God. And I want to commend you as a, as a family of faith. I love that. I love the fact that you aren't here because of me. You're not here because of Pastor Bill. You're here because of Jesus Christ, who's the Son of God, who dwells in the midst of his people. And when two of you are together in Jesus' name, Jesus shows up. And that, my friends, is what makes church, church. He's the Son of God. Jesus pulls the deity card. He's like, look, these things say the Son of God. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't pull the deity card very often. 
And you know that when he pulls the card, it's important. He's saying, look, I am God's son. And not only that, it says these things, says the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. Now, this, again, comes from Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. John sees this vision, and then Jesus takes pieces and doles them out to each church. His eyes like a flame of fire. That's why I said that the Son of God has a refining gaze. Each one of us are naked and open before the Lord. Each one of us. There is nothing that God doesn't see. Now, I know that's terrifying on a certain level because he sees, he sees all of it. Jesus doesn't just see the Sunday put-together version of you. He sees all week, every moment. You know, I, I heard the story, and I've loved it. A kid came to a Sunday school teacher and said, you know, why does God see everything? And the Sunday school teacher, just in a moment, said, it's because he loves you enough he can't take his eyes off you. And it's beautiful, but it's true. God loves you so much he can't take his eyes off you. He thinks you're that special. What's interesting is we don't think we're that special, do we? But his eyes are flames of fire. And fire, we know in the Bible, is a picture of either judgment or refinement. The refiner's fire. And you guys know the story. You've been in church long enough and you've heard all the stories about someone who's a refiner of precious metal. What they do is they heat up the metal. And the metal becomes a liquid. That's how, you know, like if you have a wedding band on, it didn't come out of the earth in this form. Somebody made it into it because when you heat up a precious metal, it becomes a liquid. And what a refiner does is he watches it. And as, as he heats it up, he knows a certain temperature when it heats up, all the impurities will start to rise to the surface. And a good refiner keeps his eye. He turns the heat up just enough for the impurities to come to the surface so that he can skim away the impurities. But what's interesting is the refiner also knows if he turns up the heat too hot, he'll ruin it. So just enough to get the impurities to the surface so that he can purify it and then slowly cools it down and shapes it into what he wants. Now, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Because I'm sure some of you right now, God's turning the heat up on you. There's things going on in your life right now. You feel like you're in the fire. Now, listen, remember about the refiner. The refiner does not want to destroy you. He wants to turn the heat up enough that it will bring the impurities to the surface. So those of you who are here today, you've been freaking out. What's going to happen? How am I going to work this out? Your impurities are coming to the surface. You're seeing the impurities in your own life that God loves you enough to say, I'm going to turn the heat up because I want to purify you. I want to change you. And that's what the eyes of faith do for a a child of God. You look at the situation, you say, God's not looking to destroy me because he sent Jesus to die for me, so that doesn't make any sense. So what's he doing? He's refining me. And all that's going on, all the impurities that are coming to the surface, that's all so that God can take them away. So that I can see what they are, and then God can remove them. Now, some of you, you're in here today, you're not even a Christian. But you're here today, you're watching online, you're in the chapel, because God is turning up the heat on you, and you haven't even chosen to be one of his kids yet. Even though you don't believe in him, he still believes in you. And he still loves you enough to say, I'm going to turn the heat up. You're going to freak out a little bit so that when you start freaking out, you're going to start looking for me. And guess what? I've already been looking for you. I sent my son to die for you. And if that's you, you're in here today, you're in the chapel, you're looking online, you're going to have an opportunity to say, look, the son of God has a refining gaze. And Lord, I want to be changed. 
I want to be born again today. And when you become born again, then all the promises in the breath of the Bible are all available for you. That he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That all things work together for good for those who love God to make you like Jesus. That God's spirit will take up residence in your life. It's like having the richest man in the world times infinity move into your house and provide. That's powerful. All of that is for you in Christ. But God is turning up the heat because he loves you enough to want to change you. Why? What do we always say here? Transformed people, what? Transformed people. As God is transforming you, you will be an agent of transformation in our community, in our world. He's got a refining gaze. And not only that, he has feet of fine brass. Now, there's also, this picture pops up again in Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. Daniel sees this image, this vision of the Son of God. It says, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color. And the sound of his words was the voice of a multitude. The brass is pure. It speaks of his purity. So this is who is revealing himself to us and to the church in Thyatira. Now, look at the good. Look at what it says in verse 19. It says, I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. There's a five-fold commendation. He knows their works, their love, their service, their faith, and their patience. Beautiful. This church isn't all bad. I mean, think about it. I, I know your works. I know the things that you do. I know your love. I know the fact that you love me and you love other people. I know your faith. I know that you exercise trust in me. I know your service. God wants each one of us to be servants. Jesus said the greatest in his kingdom are the what? Servants of all. See, Jesus shows power by helping others, not by hoarding power. That's the difference between Jesus' leadership and the way people do it in America in the 21st century. So I got power. Jesus says, I have power by giving my power away so that you may have life. That's real power. I was talking to my son Obadiah about this recently. That testosterone's raging in that little man. I love him, man. But I keep telling him, like, Obadiah, a real strong man doesn't have to prove he's strong. A real powerful, strong man can keep himself composed even in the face of something that they don't like. Because when you lose your head, you lose your witness. And when you lose your witness, it shows you're weak. And he was like, okay, then. All right. <laughs> Gave him a bump and that was it. It was a nice little moment we had. He says, I know your patience. I know your perseverance. God knows these things about us too. He knows our works. He knows our love. He knows that some of you are persevering right now, just holding on. He knows it. But then notice what he says. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Here's my application for you. Do more than you did yesterday. Do more than you did yesterday. Jesus is The letter to the church in Thyatira began in a similar way to the others, where Jesus declares who he is, the Son of God. 
Next, the virtues of the church were listed. Their patience and good works. As Pastor Daniel noted, what makes a great church work is when Jesus is the reason for worship, for fellowship, for church. In this letter, Jesus was described like a refiner to bring all the impurities to the surface and whisk them away. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Now, the next time you join us here on Jesus is Real Radio, we'll continue to look at the church in Thyatira and how it was said that their later works were greater than their first. Pastor Daniel will consider what that means for the present church today and how we need to be doing more than before, growing in faith and reaching more people. We'll also move into the sinful practices that were happening in Thyatira, which are familiar to us today. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series next time. Until then, may God bless.